Mary, everything and happy always. I love that. What's up, Mr. E? What's up, Rachel, Jenny G, Tiffany? And uh, we've got a lot of great people in the chat already. Good to see everyone. It is time for Vibrant. We're just going to do this casual Christmas party style. We got two of my best buds, Gabe and Dylan, ready to answer questions. Or if you don't have questions, then we're just going <laughs> to vibe and rant. You know how it is. But yeah, what's up, guys? Dylan, it's been a while since we got to share a screen. How you been, buddy? Man, you know, I've I got to be honest with you. I am absolutely crushing. How are you guys doing? I can feel it. You you look like it. Sound like it. Hey, do you notice anything about my hair? If you don't, don't say it. But if you do, say it because I've got some secrets. But it could just be in my imagination. It uh, looks like it's black. No, that's just like the I didn't dye it. It's just uh, it's just dark and it's kind of the lights are out. Forget it. If somebody notices anything though, because I've noticed something, say it and I'll give you some secrets. (laughs) Did did you do the conditioner before the shampoo? Is that it? (laughs) No, I don't wash my hair. That's for uh, rollerbladers. No, actually washing your hair, shampooing your hair is like one of the biggest scams ever. It like literally washes out all the natural oils. So I use this product that's like a, uh, a bar instead of shampoo. And so it's like a bar of soap, but it's made with oils like argon oil, hemp oil. So it cleans your head, but it also puts oil back in. I don't know if that's, if that's still a scam, but it's hella cheap. It's like five bucks for this little bar and it lasts me for months. No, I think like stuff like that and like conditioners and stuff are actually good because uh, if you don't use it, your hair can dry out just because if, you know, most people wash their hair with modern, we wash our hair like every day. <laughs> um, but so you can wash, you can wash too much, just like you can over brush and uh you know get uh like cause like receding gum lines and stuff like that so i've been i've been like on a like a holistic like natural kind of health rabbit hole for the last like month and uh started doing some things that i've noticed a little difference but i wanted to see if anybody else noticed it but it's okay okay just just look you know you don't see anything different <laughs> well i here's what i'm doing different you guys may or may not notice but i'm going to come clean with everybody I had a problem this year. I was drinking an insane amount of coffee. It's just like all day chugging coffee till like 4 p.m. And it was starting to take a toll, I think. Like I was getting these dark circles under my eyes and they're pretty much always there. You can probably see it in some of the streams this year. But I, I cut that out. And now my face is like bright again. I look like myself more. So that's that's what's new with me. Confession over. I love coffee. So Rachel, I still drink it. I still drink it. I just keep it to like, I confine it to one in the very morning. And that's, that's working for me. They say you should wait like an hour and an hour and a half after you wake up for your cortisol levels to settle before you drink coffee. That way it doesn't. I'm doing that too. Okay, cool. So wake up a little bit. I I didn't realize that. Rachel got it. So I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you a secret. So I tried it because I saw it. Because Rachel Sparks is obviously one of the sexy mothers that I was telling you to have a, you know, hope have a Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, all that stuff. The secret is gelatin. 
So I've been on, I've talked to you guys about this on this show with you and Gabe, where I am convinced that almost all of our health ailments are a result of like blood issues. And so two things that I've been looking at is like, when people, my hair, I, I noticed like a couple months ago, my hair was starting to look thin, like I could see my scalp in places where I would never have been able to see my scalp before. And I'm like, oh, fuck it. Father time's finally catching up to me. So I started looking. And then sure enough, I came across some details that a lot of it has to do with blood flow in your scalp. And so just literal gelatin, you can buy it. It's got, I'm obviously natural, but I've been putting like, you put a tablespoon in, in my coffee. You can't even taste it. And I've been doing that for like a month and I've noticed results already. So it's, it's all this process of figuring out how you can ensure, you know, like, like your car, you have to do an oil change, right? It doesn't matter how nice your car is. If you don't take care of it, it's going to burn out over time, right? Well, it's the same with your body. And one of the things that I've been looking at, because I tried, remember, uh, I don't, we won't say the supplement because I don't want to cost them any business or not that I'm, we're anybody, but just, just out of, but you know, who, one of the people we pay attention to with working out and stuff and one of his supplements, right? And I was really interested in it for uh, muscle, putting on muscle, right? Like for, to increase free testosterone. And I tried it for four months and sure there was like definitely some, uh, some energy boosts and stuff like that, but nothing beyond anecdotal. And I actually lost like 10 pounds. So I'm not really putting on muscle. My strength is staying pretty decent. But then I started looking at, well, maybe it's not testosterone that we need to be concerned with as much as what I have been researching, which is nitric oxide. And there's very limited ways that your body can produce it. And it's one of those things, as you get older, you produce way less of it. So you really have to be cognizant about the foods you eat that produce it. And so I've been really paying attention to that and indulging in things. There's a lot of great foods that produce nitric oxide from watermelon, kiwis, arugula. Um, I stay away from spinach because oxalates are not supposedly not good for like your kidney stones or kidneys. So I've never been like a huge spinach fan, but arugula doesn't have that concern. But spinach tastes so good. Spinach is like the best tasting. It is nice. It is nice. And then another thing I learned is uh, Parmesan. So you know how like if you think about Parmesan cheese, like Kraft or like America, it's like the most unhealthy thing ever. Well, you know how you you guys are are you subscribed to Crow? Do you ever like you you've talked to Clive DeCarlo and stuff, you've had him on. You've, yeah, you've yeah. heard him talk about K2, right? Definitely. So I've tried supplements. I've tried supplementing everything. And I know that supplements do not work for me. And I'm not saying it's for everybody, just for me, it's an it's it's pointless. There's nothing that happens. But what I've noticed is some of the stuff that people talk about with supplements, there is validity to them. And one of the things that, you know, Clive, I first heard talk about it was the K2. The thing about vitamin K2 is it's only produced by certain bacteria. So it's one of those things that's only been known in recent time. Well, it turns out Italy has really high standards for the way they make cheese. So if you get Northern Italian, like hard cheeses, like Parmesan, like actual real Italian cheese, otherwise, you know, it's not, it's not meeting those standards. Dude, the real Parmesan, they're doing this thing now where they're like microchipping the outside of the cheese wheel because there's imitation cheesemongers and it's you know if it's not from the specific place it's not parmesan 
It's not the real. Yeah, but that, they, there's something to that because of the standards. They do that. They're like that with the wine too. Yeah, you got to do like a ten year apprenticeship to even make the the real Parmesan. Yeah, and so just to wrap it up, so that K two that is being made by the bacteria, I think also sauerkraut helps make K two. Well, that actually decalcifies the arteries. So this is all, so in terms of all, again, it's all going back to blood flow. That, I guess that's the overarching thing. I'm, I know I'm kind of scatterbrained because I haven't really talked about it with anybody. But the overarching thing is all these things help with the blood flow and all that. And since I've been doing that, I've noticed like dramatic results in certain areas. And um, so definitely, hey, what's up, George? George, we're, we're playing the call-in show game. So I'm putting it out there for everybody. We can take calls. Uh, if we need to, I might even throw the StreamYard link into the Vibrant Telegram channel. I've posted that in the YouTube live chat. I'll do that again. Uh, post that over to the Rockfin as well. Yeah, other places I might be streaming. You're out of luck. <laughs> you have to find it on Telegram. But pop into the Vibrant call-in channel on Telegram. Leave us a voicemail if you want. Uh, you know, speak up if you might actually want to call in and come on screen with us, whatever works, or just leave us some questions in the live chat in any of those places and we'll get to it. Yeah. Uh, Gabe, what, what are your confessions or, or recent changes to your body now that you're getting older? Oh man, that's a great question. Uh, it is an awesome adventure. Uh, it is really an awesome adventure. I keep, uh, I'm, I'm of a mindset that I'm actually terrified of how long I'm going to live. If I'm doing this good at this point, I am in for a real long haul. And I don't mean to brag, uh, but my grandma, she's pushing 96 and she's got a nice long way to go. And she did just fine all the way to the end of the pier. Going to be one of those grandmas who gets the running head start and launches off the end. Um, so she's got a ways to go, and I definitely got a ways to go. Um, I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not as physical though. I've, I've definitely adjusted so mostly because uh, of the lockdowns, there's nobody to dance with, you know, our, our Capoeira groups shut down. And uh, uh, so myself, I'm much more in this, uh, uh, in the walking uh, pace you know, uh, which is just appropriate for my mindset these days. Do you um, count how many steps you do a day? Like just like ballpark? Is it something that you try to meet or no? I shoot for 10,000. I do it on a treadmill. That's what I heard. I heard 10 to, 10 to 14,000. Walking at 3.0 miles per hour on a treadmill, you need to walk about 80 minutes to you know in addition to normal walking around throughout the rest of the day to get to about ten thousand, that's what i calculated from my stride maybe it's different for other people by the way dylan really a nice touch with your holiday spirit world backdrop there looking good <laughs> you know what's funny is i have no concept of time i didn't realize like we're essentially at the solstice had no idea but i did the yule log you know and, uh, you know, I think one of, uh, one of the vibrants you did, uh, that booty yoga guy mentioned, cause we were talking about, or I was mentioning in the chat, the log, the spiritual fire of God in the Irish, who their God was Isar. 
or Esar, which is the Etrusian name for the sun and God. Well, Buddha Yoga knows, yeah, but the Yule log, lobe, the spiritual fire, and that's what it is. You think there's a connection between the, the log, the log, and the rock? Yeah, and l- l- I mean, R- even L to R, G to C, you know, log, rock. It's, I've been uh, really delving into the languages of Britain for the last like month or two, whether it's Welsh, Cornish, Irish, uh, and then also Northwestern France, Armoric, Armorica. It's all the same language. And you can see how they just switch up the letters. And so they all look differently. And over time, they get spoken differently. And people think they're different. But when you understand which letter, like, it's a whole philology masterclass in itself that it's like, a, it's, you'll see in the coming, uh, I've got a post coming out later this week. And you'll see, like, when I really start going into it, it's fascinating, crazy. But the interchangeability, it's there. Whether there's symbolism in it, you know, like, just now, today, I was working on a post where, so you have log. You also have lock, right? Loch Ness monster, you know, like the lock, the lake. You also have lock that, you know, gave the philological lock picker. There's something there and you would think it's all coincidence. But then when you look at the system, it's not because you'll have things like more in uh, Welsh is C. So the Welsh really conforms to the Latin where you have like mare. But then when you look at the Irish, mor is great. And it's even pronounced in, uh, they'll say like the Welsh counterpart is M-A-W-R, but you recognize that U-V-W uh, interchange, it's maur. And so that corresponds to the Phoenician. So more in Irish means great, hence Enish Mor, the, the great island of the Aran um, Islands on the west coast of Ireland. That is like one for one Phoenician. And that's also in the Italian, Maur, Mauro. That's where Maori comes from, Mauritania. It's the lords, the princes, or the great. Land of the great. Land of, that's what the IE termina, uh, IA termination means, the land of, country of. But just seeing how these are the same words, but they mean something a little slightly different in Welsh than they do in Irish. It's fascinating. It's it's like it's to a whole nother level what I've been like witnessing. But I wouldn't have been able to understand this had I not had this whole body of work behind me leading up to looking into it. It wouldn't have made sense to me. So that's a really long diatribe (laughs) response to the log block. You know, you know the word. Yeah, you know the word America is an anagram for chimera, and uh, that that. Amorica that you mentioned is close enough that there's a chimeric relationship, you know? I've been thinking a lot more about these mythological hybrids as linguistical metaphor, uh, because the Sphinx was a chimera and a master of riddles and an initiator. You couldn't get past until you answered the riddle. So I'm thinking about chimeras a lot more as uh, linguistical puzzles. And um, Armorica is essentially like it's part of France, but would now be France, right? North, northwestern France. 
And one of the secrets that nobody likes to talk about in New England is there's more French people than any other European ethnicity. And so all of us pretty much are part French. Nobody likes to talk about it, right? Even those fucking mix in Fifth Ward, Newport, Rhode Island, you motherfuckers, a lot of you is part French. (laughs) That's too too bad. Let's change the subject. (laughs) But, well, you know, you're talking about that, this philology thing. I was just reading some Higgins today in uh, Anacalypsis and he makes a really good point that I don't think we've brought up before, but that we may consider that we have to really stretch our minds to see these letter swaps and the interchangeability or the variations of spelling. But man, how long has the art of printing been around? Not that long. That's really what standardized things. Otherwise it's a big free for all. Right. But I got some questions in our chats. Let's get in. Let's get into some of them. <laughs> we got some good stuff here. Uh, First, I'm going to go in order. This one's a little more far out, but it came earlier today in the vibrant call-in line from Charlay Bubs Bird Bear. Charlay met her at the uh, Bertaria National Festival. She's great. She also writes pretty great letters to uh, the Big Bear. Sometimes I hear them on the stream. She says, I want to know what the symbolic significance of being born blind in one eye is the right eye and being named after a breed of white cows charlay cow and allegedly being a twin that enveloped the other twin in utero wtf wtf does that all mean i'm kidding kind of it's all true but i never thought of anything of it until i became interested in symbolism so she wants to know about being born with the right eye blind enveloping a twin in utero and being named after Charlay, a uh, type of cow. So there's a kind of a threefold question there. Uh, all I got to start is the right eye is the eye of Ra, the solar eye, the future. And I could think about that in the biofield as well. The right part, the right side of the third eye has to do with our, our future oriented thinking. Uh, if there's stuck energy there, it represents being nervous or worried about the future. I wonder if maybe you were predisposed, perhaps with some kind of ancestral program that causes you to have some uh, anxieties or or worry about the future in a perpetual, like caught in a kind of a thought loop about that could be something that's more tricky or more challenging for somebody who has a right eye blindness. That's my first take. Uh, Gabe, I want to kick it to you for that because I know you you've got you've got the mystic thoughts already brewing. I see it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I definitely agree with that. Uh, that foresight uh, corresponding with the eye of Ra. It makes me think about having late onset vision such that by foregoing this particular sense, when it kicks in, it's extra potent. Um, A lot of times we presume that a a lack of sight is like a hazard or you're going to be weak in that eye for the rest of your life. But I think that is not necessarily true. I love uh, a story my child's mom tells. The first time she got her eyes corrected, she walked out of the doctor's office and said, wait, you're supposed to see the leaves on these trees? 
And, uh, and I just love that story because I've never thought about not being able to see the leaves on the trees, you know? And so there's like a, and so now that she can see the leaves, uh, there's like hidden wonder powers that she can activate and maybe be like a new virgin territory psychically for her. So while it seems like a hindrance, sometimes those late bloomers actually come out with wonder powers, like late onset speech in children. They actually come out with like highly developed internal landscapes that we we could learn from. Um, and then because you mentioned IO, it triggered a wonderful synchronicity. I'm going to share a poem with you. Uh, this is a, a poem to my daughter, and it has IO in the poem. Uh, you mentioned the white cow, which is a reference uh, mythologically to IO, which is a planet. Uh, I think it's a, 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 a Jupiterian moon that some people think is like the the library of the cosmic alexandria hiding on it and it is the model that the death star was based on the death star is the fortune card and chance was just talking about your future chances which is the fortune card that the death star is based upon so io is very appropriate per the star wars mythos corresponding to the fortune card i'm going to read this poem it's a quick one she uh, she received this, by the way, uh, just today before your question. So the synchronicity is like right in stride. It's called Stardust. Devilishly they spread angelic wings to snowboard snow-capped rings of Saturn without permission. Precious stories of sky dancing, sun games, inspire daughter to kick stardust over daddy, completing every single song inside of him. Luminous comet trails of Lyra's giggle melt ice ages on Io that may spirits may vivify, renewed as a full day moon. Your daughter wrote that? You wrote that for his daughter. Gabe's got serious poetic chops. I'm like, he's a reincarnated Greek tragedian, philosopher, comedian, all of the above. He's done it all. Got some kind of weird <laughs> soul star power. Do you remember what Samis said about the first, the oldest stock of Britons? What they were called and who they're from? I don't. The Bardi, the Phoenicians, the Bardi. And that's where the bards come from because they were legendary nice. like songwriters and storytellers. And what they would do is they would, they, again, we're talking about a priest class and they would get hired by the rulers to tell these great stories about them. <laughs> you know, to add a little more to Charlie's three-part question, well, would party. also say, <laughs> Barty, party. Charlie, <laughs> uh, being named after a cow, might, you know, rub one the wrong way at first. But when you think about the symbolism of Taurus and the mother, Maybe that's indicative of a life mission to be like a nurturing mother. And even more so with the right eye being the blind one, that's the masculine future oriented eye, the left eye 
would be the feminine, the moon eye. <laughs> so maybe it's just like multiple ways your life was by design or by spiritual choice before incarnation meant to really just focus on like being a good mom and not really worry about any of that masculine <laughs> side of stuff so much. Yeah, that, that, that rings true for me. I know that uh, I met your son at the festival too. Seemed like you were a great mom to him and who knows, maybe you're also a Taurus. That'd be pretty cool. I'm going to move us to the next question. My beautiful wife, Jenny G, she wants to know from, from all three of us, what was your gateway to awakening in the conspiracy rabbit hole? What was the, what was your gateway drug for conspiracy? Uh, I'm going to start with Dylan. Um, for me, it started really young uh, because I went out to Hollywood when I was 20. And almost immediately, because I used to be like, like a, like kind of like that, like good looking, like Ashton Kutcher twink, you know, like that Justin Bieber haircut and all that shit back, you know, like lesbians who look like Justin Remember that site? Like I probably could have got on there. <laughs> um, so I got invited to a lot of parties where a lot of powerful people are trying to hook up with um, young people. And there's kind of like this promise for uh oh jesus there he is uh <laughs> look at that look at that lesbian uh, <laughs> <laughs> she 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 looks like she was having a day <laughs> oh man did you drive a subaru uh, no i never drove a subaru uh but uh <laughs> Uh, my actually speaking of the bull my first car was a Taurus a Ford Taurus wagon I was that guy that was like driving all my friends around to like the skate parks and shit like packing in like 13 kids to a fucking car <laughs> um, uh, no but so for me it started really young where I was getting around all these powerful people and thank god I didn't know about anything because that's what enabled me to navigate it without stepping on anybody's toes or pissing anybody off or having to call anybody out. But I just knew something weird was going on. And you'd be amazed at the conversations you um, can hear and be privy to when you're like a fly on the wall and people don't think you know anything. And eventually you start picking stuff up. But like I was around a lot of, you know, high level darker cultists. And uh, it's in this kind of bleeds into what I was going to want to talk to you guys about with the um, entertainment and like the decoding the demystifiers episodes is I've been around these people my entire adult life and they don't come across as smart as you guys with the symbolism. And so what I've concluded is when they put this symbolism in, this is their tradition. So you know how like if Somebody who is from a Christian background, they might not know any of the stuff that we know about the astro, astro theology or any of that stuff. And they just have a picture of St. Luke or St. Matthew or whatever, or St. Mark. They have no, no idea what that signifies in the stars, but to them, it's a Christian saint, an evangelist, etc. St. Luke, you, the, the bull, there's the cow again. To you, that's going to have all this other meaning. And what, what I, so, and believe it or not, I look, so my, like my favorite episodes, ironically, even though I'll never watch the show, I love the demystifiers episodes. They're like so much fun to me, but 
I, I've been thinking about this a lot and I was, and it really clicked for me when I started seeing like all the symbolism in cyberpunk, that's just kind of out of place and doesn't really have any part in it. It's kind of like if you were a Christian making video games or a Muslim, Muslim, Muslims wouldn't because they, uh, you can't do any of that idolatry or graven images and all that shit. But if you were looking at a Christian developed film or series, you would have a lot of occult Christian symbols that to people like us, we'd see them and it would mean all this amazing stuff. But to the app, to even them who put it in there, it's just the traditional symbolism. And the majority of people, believe it or not, are associated, I would say, with Freemasonry in, in Hollywood. And I know a thing or two because my friend worked for Microsoft. So I would go to E3 every year and associate with people who actually made the games and I get to play the games and talk to the developers before they go to the general public. And there's all kinds of occult symbolism in these games, but they themselves never tip their hand, nor do they ever come across as somebody higher minded or spiritual that knowing this amount of knowledge invariably propels you to. You don't know all this stuff and then still stay, say like a, a Pepsi drinking, like pizza eating, you know, unhealthy average American, like the knowledge, this knowledge raises you literally. And what I've concluded is I got exposed to this so long that that's why I'm not intimidated by it because I've, I've moved in these circles at lower levels and it's not as sinister as you think, or as most people think. And it's not as intimidating as most people think. And a lot of these people are good people. It's just they're, it's they're what they were brought up in. It's their Christianity, right? Seeing statues of Anubis in Militech buildings and, you know, in Dogtown and the Phantom Liberty, you know, all that, uh, talking about the cyberpunk games. It's just there. It has no, it's not part of the story. It's, it's just there. And it's because it's, it's their tradition, right? That's all it is. We know the guys that made that game are Polish. That whole studio is in Poland. Not saying that that means they aren't related to the tradition. I mean, if you look at the other game series that they are notorious for, it's the Witcher series. And that's about as full as you can get with occultism. Although they don't pull in specifically like references to gods and goddesses of real life, so to speak. But they do have like those themes are still all the way. But they it. didn't write The Witcher, right? That's so they, just like yeah. they didn't write Cyberpunk, they're huge fans of it and they're making it. And that's not to take anything away from them because there's a lot of creativity that they do and they bring to the table. I'm just saying, like, you know, maybe maybe somebody is directing them. Just put this in there. I it to what it just doesn't. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff. Like I just I don't think they're as smart as somebody who's not aware of this, who's never moved in these circles. They're super intimidated by the uber rich. Not me. I've, I've been around guys who dropped $40 million cash on their house. They're not intimidating at all. What's, it's not even somebody you, I don't think they think about you. Like, you know, I think a lot of people have this victim mindset where they're out to get us. And I don't think, I think they just, there is a system. And if you want to thrive in the system, there are certain paths you can take that will help you thrive in the system. And they're not, it's not a, nobody's really crusading for like a personal agenda that is higher than themselves. 
in that system. They're kind of just going along like, I want a lot of money. This is what I got to do to make a lot of money. You know, it's more, it's not as like, it's not as sinister. So I guess the silver lining in that is the system's not as evil. The people running the system is not as evil as you think it is. Of course, there's going to be psychopaths and really disgusting people in it. And it's going to cater to that behavior, but it's not as scary as you would think it is. I think that applies to the world in general. And then that's, you know, calling back to the question that got us on this topic, the gateway conspiracy to the conspiracy rabbit hole. That's, I think, really important that we're able, as more and more people are going through their gateway conspiracy experiences, that uh, we're the voices that tell them, actually, it's not as scary as it might look. Actually, you have way more agency over how your life is going to go then it might seem from taking in some of this doomer black pill type of thing like my gateway conspiracy i you might call it the zeitgeist movie i saw that like in 2007 i was a senior in high school it was kind of disingenuous the way that they present the information in that movie they're like basically leading you to communism as the that's the solution that is the feast of nonsense chance because i've never seen i've never seen the zeitgeist but all the time whenever i talk about this that's what people oh are you talking about zeitgeist like well that's because what what zeitgeist does is first it's like the first act is 9-11 inside job act act two is the all christianity uh fraud basically and it's just a quick little rundown of the of really basic syncretism that shows all the different savior archetype figures that are born of a virgin, December 25th, die on a cross, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just like a bullet point list. And it's like, see, everything you believed is fake. And it kind of leaves at the door any kind of deeper wisdom that you can drive out of the system instead of showing you that the syncretism there as like, then the reason is because it reflects nature and you're supposed to learn about yourself and, and about nature through this system. Instead, it's like is fake and gay and you've been scammed and you should completely drop any ideas about like looking into this further. It's obviously a scam. And so after, <laughs> I don't know if it's really my gateway into conspiracy. Cause after I saw that, I was like, I was 17. And my reaction was to uh, just go into some cognitive dissonance, externally pretend like I was still the uh, the good boy raised in the church, like I, you know, always had been before. But like inside, feeling more towards the atheism route, especially as I got into college, and that's what all my teachers were, were pounding into us: postmodernism, nothing means anything, everything's pointless. And I didn't really look into conspiracy any further. But again, Zeitgeist, I think it was Zeitgeist 2. That was my, I think, for real gateway into conspiracy culture was the fucking two of them. There's like three and they're all pointing you towards communism. And I didn't know that I was a kid. But what happened was uh, they they show you the they show you the debt based financial system, how the economy works, which nobody had told me. No one talked about. I never learned in school. I ended up doing my what was it? They call it the capstone project for my English major in college about how our economy works on debt. And it's the game of musical chairs where the more money is created through credit, you know, the more is owed from interest. And it's like the 
never ending, massively spiraling out of control debt system that causes all the like pointless manufacturing expansion and like jobs that don't matter and yada, yada, yada. So that was probably my real gateway into conspiracy was the financial, how the financial system works and how our money is actually debt. Interestingly enough for like Christmas to watch some Christmas movies, Jen and I watched the Die Hard original Die Hard trilogy. And I had never seen those movies before, but I noticed that in Die Hard, the first Die Hard movie, the bad guys are stealing bonds, bearer bonds. And then I don't think there's any money being stolen in the second movie, but in the third movie, the bad guys are stealing all the gold from the Federal Reserve that where they've like got other countries gold in the bank. So I noticed that in Die Hard, the bad guys are only stealing actual money. They're not stealing debt notes. And that was interesting. There's more stuff in the Die Hard movies too. But yeah, that was my my real entry was the financial system, I think. That's what really got me going down the rabbit holes. How about you, Gabe? First of all, I got to give you all the props for initiating Jin into American culture by reminding everybody that Die Hard is a Christmas classic. I totally forget about the Christmas. Oh, she initiated me into Die Hard. She's uh, got me to watch it. <laughs> She'd already seen it. <laughs> I was the newbie. Big up, Jen. Big up. Set this boy straight. <laughs> That's great. I love that. Um, uh, you are spot on about the the printing. The alloys are really the source of it all. Those tablets, the uh, um, you know, that's the noble. That's the noble lie. Is the there's the the pottery clay class at the bottom, and then there's the bronze, and then they stack different alloys, and the silver and the gold are two headed gods at the top for the east and the west. Uh, that's totally spot on. Uh, and Zeitgeist also, I think everybody, if if you haven't, uh, I think sometimes it is beneficial to uh, to like, oh, it was started off really good, like uh, with little a couple nuggets of really reliable truth, like a poison like pill the, game, uh, the advent alignment of Orion's belt, just like yes, and then but then all the other asks that they stack up on top of that one little nugget are really fascinating but what i've learned from uh, zeitgeist is when uh it's a classic uh, bait and switch and while they're pointing their hand over here the you know the coin is always in the other hand well they're putting all that attention over on orion and sure enough in my path it's a very long arc here but you know, Orion is the Rider weight full card initiation. This is the PG level of the occult world. And I have discovered that uh, the Thoth deck has this fall orientation. That full card is in the more, uh, the actual fall. It's not telling you about a fall as you're climbing up a mountain. You're actually in the fall actively. So it's not a promise. It's not a false promise. It's, it's uh, proactive. So that is something that I've been like, as while Zeitgeist is telling everybody, look over here, I'm realizing there's so much more echoing deeper truth elsewhere. And that bait and switch of the Rider Waite full card to the Thoth deck full card is a next level of order of magnitudes of thought. 
<laughs> and somewhere in what I just said is what Dylan was talking about, about these guys are bringing down information from a higher order that they're not even responsible for uh, when they put it into the, into the, into the cinema. These complete hermetic systems are like coming from texts that I think we do a good job at guessing the ciphers without seeing the master list. I think we do a real good job. You do a better job. job. They can't get things by us. What I'm I'm just saying is you guys are far superior than these people. And I would know because I've been around them until the last three years, my entire adult life. And I promise you, they're not, they are not as spiritual. uh, There is a type of person that's driven to higher knowledge. They take all this shit for granted, just like Christians take Christianity for granted, you know, because you're just brought up and we were raised with it. We don't appreciate the symbolism in it. Just like this is what our parents did. They're telling us to do. That's how they are. It's not as sinister. And and the only reason I say this, because I know you guys aren't afraid, but I think there are people that come across this stuff for the first time and they're like genuinely scared because they don't, they, they have never been around this stuff. And they'd be like, wow, look at all this stuff. Oh my God, like Polybius, you could not ignore Polybius in the Loki series. There's literally no fucking reason for that to be there. And it's right in your face. And so and then there's who, some stuff that's like just hiding in the background. That episode four, Lamentis, where there's all these reasons to correlate Loki to Bacchus, which we already knew, but it's like they're demonstrating it for us through the symbolism of the show. And then in the background, in one scene, there's a bunch of fans behind them. That it's just like in the dark, kind of in the shadows behind them. And you're like, right there, the f- mystic fan of Bacchus. Can't miss it. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's like some of the stuff that's in those shows actually proves things that you or, or me and Gabe have conjectured that we've put together. You know, that's never been explicitly told to us through anything, but we're connecting dots. And then this show comes along and it's like, yes, the dots you connected, they're here's some verification. There's tons of that. And just to support what you're, what I'm trying to show people that these cults are, these are the traditions that are in power right now, or that are running some of these stuff. There's an interview you can look up with like Ziggy, uh, sorry, Iggy pop from like, I don't know, the seventies or whatever. He's a young man. And he is admitting that his experience it's he, he the word he uses is Dionysian. Right. So this is before any of us were born. And this guy's talking about how his experience with music and all that stuff, it's Dionysian. They're admitting all of this. And for those who don't know, Bacchus is just the Roman version of Dionysius, which would be the Greek version. And they just, it's just little wordplay changes um, that they did. So Gabe, what's your gateway to conspiracy? What was your initiative? Yeah, what was the first thing? This is amazing. Yeah, what got you on the path? Guys, this is really great because it comes back to the uh, the Polybius uh, scene. Uh, this is really fun. So my initiation into conspiracy theory was the Jehovah's Witness used to come to my house as a child. And they'd corner me and grill me on some Jesus. And I could tell that the entire setting was inappropriate. But there was like a kind of an ornery curiosity in me that was like, how far are these guys going to take it 
like with this Jesus programming and, you know, and I was always that, you know, coming with the questions and they've seen this before. I'm not, I'm not bringing any questions they haven't seen. Like why do women can't, why can't women wear jeans? The standard, all those, all those questions and resistance. But what is really fascinating is they planted seed in me around the Nephilim and around the fallen and around those who would presume to have divine right to rule. And that seed that they planted in me has, uh, is my rebellious spirit has tried to wear it away and disprove it and dismiss it. And so I can go to sleep and live in comfort that there are not forces out there that presume to have control or power that they do not really wield. And I'm here to tell you, in my years, there were certain nuggets of truth in what those Jehovah's Witnesses came and brought to my, to my house. And it still stands. And on, to, for the most part, I would dismiss everything with the wave of a hand. But with the other hand, I would hold on to their claim that these fallen ones, these family bloodlines that presume to have the blood right to rule, that Ovid reinforced with his eroticism, those bloodlines trace back to a what the the Christian ethos frames as a sacred conspiracy. They speak of the fallen on Mount Hermon having a, a sacred conspiracy such that they were all equally liable. They're all compelled into this transgressive act. Well, it turns out that's how government works. It turns out that's how blackmail works. It turns out that this, these mechanics of these nefarious Nephilim stories are actually perfect children's stories that unpack into the government agency and how the realm really works. And it has served me well to honor these myths. Uh, but with caveats and just in, you know, uh, mature distinguishing details. But what's really wild is part of this uh, sacred conspiracy in their ethos is described as de descending into the arts and that academia has captured the arts and are using the arts as a glimmer, as a glamour, as a spell to dress up and occult their true intention with just flowery speech and hand gestures that might make your mind sympathetically syncopate to what I want you to think. Right. Yes. Yes. So I'm learning about these things, but I'm learning them firsthand for myself now and come to find out. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. Wait, buddy. So when I'm, when I'm getting my swerve out. on, when I'm getting my swerve on at the club with Avicii and I'm going like this, am I doing it to myself? <laughs> yeah, man. Yes, we are entranced. We are totally entranced. So what is amazing is uh, that idea that the arts are actually have subversive have been subversively captured and are being turned back in on us it's been a really long haul to try my best to prove them wrong and i turns out they were quite right those arts are the muses who are hiding behind all the characters in the symposium and the social engineering of the symposium has been serving me in the most profound ways to not reaffirm what the Jehovah's Witnesses were saying, but come at it with even more uh, mature adult evidence that compels uh, beyond those children's stories. And that 
takes courage uh, for your for your logos and to find all the other books that support this worldview. And so these arts have been captured. These muses are held hostage. And chance, this is why all of the, the narrations come through hostages. It's why it's Homer. It's why it's Prometheus. It's why it's Andromeda. Um, these muses are, uh, they've been industrially uh, locked away, we'll say. But we got a real good sense of their, uh, of their art craft. Um, so yeah, uh, the Jehovah's Witness woke me up a long time ago. And I've been trying real hard to prove them wrong. Uh, and some of what they said, much like Zeitgeist, it still stands and it still serves me. That there is an unseen realm here, and there is a long, consistent legacy of controlling uh, people from the unseen realms. Well, this symbolism and language it is literally the gateway to the supernatural because thoughts are supernatural; they don't exist in the physical world. They're here. They're, it's it's part of the construct. But it's not in it. It's not it's not something that physics could ever uh, manipulate or whatever fit like it, it could manipulate other things that then manipulate the thoughts. But the thoughts themselves are not physically attached. And, you know, to ignore that is it's kind of just ignorance. Right. But speaking of the Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, one of my good friends as in like first grade was a, I didn't know what Jehovah's Witness it was at the time. But it turns out that's what he was. And that's what his family was. Because my mom told me about this later. But they, when I was five years old, they told me that Santa, it wasn't real. And I was like, get the fuck. I was like, no way, no way. And like, I went home and I remember going to my mom. I was like, mom, is Santa real? And, and like, it, there was that thing and later on in life. She's like, yeah, it pissed me off so bad when they told you that. Because then my mom had to tell me that, yeah, Santa's not real. <laughs> what I did was... I don't know if you guys remember, there's this toy when I was pretty young called a yak back. And it was this little handheld device that you could talk into and it would record whatever you did. But it was like a one off. So you could only have one recording saved on it. It had probably like a 30 second or 15 second limit. And so it was just a toy, right? It's just for fun. <laughs> it seems like so low tech for today's standards. But I left, I, I don't know. I was probably six. I left that out next to the Santa cookies with a note that said, Santa, please leave me a voice recording so I can verify that you're real. I mean, you know, I'm translating, paraphrasing into adult speak. I, I said that as a five or six year old. So I've always been a true seeker. My dad left the recording. He was like, ho, ho, ho. I came out the next morning and I was like, that's you, dad. That's that sounds just like you. <laughs> so I was I caught on. The signature of a voice is unforgettable. Have you guys ever noticed that? Like when like loved ones or like friends die like a long time ago, your voice, your memory of their voice is it it is like one of the most pristine things about them. Easier to remember than their face even. And I think so. Yeah. There's something about that. And um, what you were saying a minute ago, Gabe, made me think of another, you know, just like a one-off weave. (laughs) Like a little one-off marvelous demystifiers weave. Uh, we've been watching the Iron Fist, which it's been out for a while. It's a kung fu Marvel superhero show. But the uh what I noticed about that show in the rewatch, because I hadn't seen it for years when it first came out, I think I saw it 
and I wasn't hip to very much in, in the legal sorcery world or I mean, I've, I've come a long way <laughs> since what, 2016 or whatever it was when that originally came out, maybe even earlier than that, maybe like 2015. And the thing I wanted to point out about that show, because you brought up the Jehovah's Witnesses and the unseen forces that guide the realm, the the bad guys in all the Netflix era Marvel TV shows are the hand, the hidden hand, right? Ninja, a ninja clan from the East that are like immortal or whatever that have got the secret teachings from the great white brotherhood and they've corrupted it. I mean, I'm, I'm not even exaggerating. That's literally what's going on in the Marvel shows, but the, uh, the iron fist, the main character, when the show begins, he is, has been missing for 15 years. So he's legally dead. And then the main antagonist of that show is a guy who also died and he's, off the grid he's off the he's off the chart basically both characters that are the guiding forces for all the change that's happening as a result of the plot of that show are two guys that have legally got no straw man they're both completely free from the straw man <laughs> and even though they're like the the black and the white sort of opposing forces the real problem is the hidden hand that is manipulating both of them I just couldn't miss pointing that out. The, that, you know, even in whether or not it's intentional, I feel like it has to be intentional that they made both of the, the protagonist and the antagonist legally dead and thus no straw man. It's, it's kind of wild, really. I think what you're talking about is the very, I can't prove it yet, but I'm almost a hundred percent sure. This is why none of the uh, old Italian families in America, if you look at the immigrant classes, Nobody was like the Italians, right? They come, they come in and they're like, within a century, you're having to ask them for permission to build a skyscraper in New York. You know what I mean? Like, well, the, in this show, they, these guys, the legally dead antagonists and protagonists, they both own property. They both control wealth. They, they're like, you know, the, they're the ones that are administering trusts. And so like literally and what <laughs> billions they of do? dollars. What do they do and what do the Jews do? But they nobody all change knows. their names by like a letter or two. So the new one is the one that's in the legal system, but their family name is outside it. Yeah, yeah. So they're kind of giving away some secrets in that show. I can, I can see that. I got to get it. I'm going to get us to some more of the questions, though, there, <laughs> because I want people <laughs> to keep asking questions. We're doing we're doing the ask me anything game. You, you know, Tiffany wants. Oh, go ahead. The, the, the Gabe, I think you need to drop out and pop back in because you're on a wicked bad delay. Right? We're kind of, we've kind of woven on this before. That the... He's like that. I got to send him a, a Wi-Fi All right, I'll extender. Be back. I don't think that popping in and out will change it, Gabe. It's kind of how, how we've been when, when we're on your laptop. It's all good. We're just, we just got to like play with the timing, give Gabe a little extra room to, uh, right. But he was roboting. Oh yeah. And usually when you're roboting, it's, uh, <laughs> that's just how he talks. What? Okay. Well, I'm going to wait for Gabe to come back. He'll, he'll pop right back in, but well, we got some good questions in the chat. The first one here, Tiffany 
I've been having weird dreams lately about telekinesis. I don't know much on the subject. What are your guys' thoughts or knowledge on it? Uh, <laughs> that's a really interesting question. I have dreams like that sometimes where I can, whatever I like, I put my hand out and I'm like, and whatever I'm pointing my palm at, the thing like flies to my hand, like magnetically and like pops in and I'm grasping it. So I have telekinesis dreams. What it means, that's uh, another story. I don't know that I've ever, well, I don't think I've ever witnessed any kind of believable telekinesis, right? It's just sort of like a, a Star Wars idea. What about you, Dylan? You have any thoughts on that as a, a concept? actually have like entries of of so i don't really remember my dreams but then i have these crazy dreams where i remember like it's like a whole story arc and i've written them down that's what usually ends up in something like the tale of anora and i still have one that i haven't included on one of the adventures that i've had where not only was i time traveling but i instead of killing people with like sword i was able to not kill them and use the telekinesis and just send them flying or whatever you know knock them out whatever but not having to be vicious about it but the only thing that i've ever seen with telekinesis isn't going to be on like movies tv like some aspect of filming and when you're dealing with film as somebody uh one of my friends was like a, a, a magician that like worked with like david copperfield uh all these guys if it's on tv it it can it's part of the illusion so just to say oh i've seen people do it you'd be surprised at what i've seen magicians do in real life that there's a trick to but part of their orders to not ever divulge those secrets so not only will they never tell you but they will never do the same magic trick in front of you twice so tiffany says she's pointing out it's almost like i'm receiving the message in the dream but to be related to my reality that applies yeah for sure dreams are messages about your current life are you feeling particularly capable of like manipulating or controlling things? Are, are you reaching a new level of like, uh, I would say authorship of your life or influence over people in your life for good or bad reasons, I guess, but I know you, so I would assume probably for good reasons. Optimistic bear says he's seen videos of Qigong guys doing it. I will say when I first started learning Qigong, it was really early in, like the first couple of weeks of having a daily practice. Maybe within the first week, there was this moment where I'm like doing the movements. I'm really trying to feel the energy. I'm kind of putting a lot of oomph into it uh, with my internal force. And I complete this motion. And where my hands are pointed at across the way on a wall, a poster just flies off the wall. I have no idea if that was something I did. It was like thumbtacked to the wall. So it was really bizarre that it got ripped off the wall. I'll never forget that. Seems like Gabe is, you you broke Gabe, Dylan. This is your fault. No, I mean, it didn't matter because you couldn't hear what he's saying anyway. That's why I stopped him. <laughs> oh, he's there. He, he was roboting. So I got to start going Hit it. <laughs> so uh, this was 
many years ago in a storm, I was doing my Kung Fu Kata form with an extra amount of emotional charge. And I and turned out a light from across the field during the storm. There was a storm. The storm gets a lot of credit, but you should have seen the move I did. <laughs> and you should have seen the timing with this light bulb just flashes and flitters out like right on time. Uh, so the next night I went back and did the form again and not at the same part, but at the very end, like when I close off and I open my eyes, the light was turned back on. The same light that turned out the night before. That was pretty cool. And that park is a special park for me. Um, but that, uh, that turns out that uh, some people call that a slider. And I do get that a lot where electricity and electrical shite will turn out for me, especially in emotionally charged situations when I get excited. You might notice I robot extra the more excited I get. Uh, so, yeah, I do have a lot of, uh, yeah, the slider energy. Um when I walk and, the dogs at night uh, I, and I'll walk under street lamps and sometimes they go out as I pass under them. Uh, that happens pretty commonly for me. Oh, okay. Yeah. There's a, and I got a good Kung Fu story. I got, yeah, I got a good Kung Fu story. And this goes along the lines of when the masters uh, have a maneuver they only perform it once and the masters never tell their secrets. You know, I have seen moves that I didn't believe were possible. And then I have learned how to do moves that I didn't think were possible. I was like, oh, that has to be on a rope. And you're like, no, 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 no. You get the, you get the gimmick right and your body can do some wild things. Like I used to think the barrel roll was bullshit like nobody does can or would or should do a barrel roll. It turns out there are fucking great reasons to do a barrel roll sometimes <laughs> and it can be done uh uh and then some there's actually a follow-up after the barrel roll that you're setting yourself up for but anyway there's a and sometimes those movements that you don't think are possible they happen on accident someone like like uh like um for example rodney mullen comes to mind the guy who invented the kickflip but for those who skateboard he did that on accident and then figured out how to land on it and he was the first one doing the kickflip. And then, you know, Tony Hawk was like, holy shit. And then Tony Hawk had to go learn how to do it. So it's like, it's one of those things. And then they started designing the boards to be more, uh, like, tailored for making the board flip and do all these cool things for skateboarding. So, you know, a lot of times, those things that you don't think possible, it's, it's not until someone does it. And then the explosion that happens afterwards and what's possible uh, as far as human nature is concerned, it jumps exponentially and gets improved exponentially. And there's a lot of things in the world that people talk about that never get improved exponentially. And that's how you know they're bullshit. Yes. Well, that's why what we do here with like the spirit world type investigations is really important to push the envelope forward for humanity, for the collective consciousness. I realized this hundredth monkey effects type thing back when I went to a lot of music. Hold on a second. Hundred monkey is not real though. That, no, that, that is I, totally invalid. I get even that. Though, even though I get what you're saying, but just, just so every, yeah, I just want everyone to know that if you look into that from a science perspective or any, it, the whole thing was a, 
It's a joke. Bogus. But there is something to the advancement in a certain type of skill, right? That as more people gain that skill, more it's quicker and easier for new people to catch up to their level. That's just a fact. Four minute mile. Exactly. That used to be impossible. Now it's like the standard. I saw this in action when I went to a lot of music festivals. When I first started going, there were like a handful of girls hula hooping and doing just some kind of basic tricks. And then as time progressed, like a few years later, all of a sudden, the type of tricks these hula hooping girls were doing, and there's a lot more of them, were insane. Stuff I never would have even imagined possible. And when like a friend would start hula hooping for the first time, they'd pick it up. They would, within a matter of months, be at the level of doing those tricks that just five years earlier, nobody knew how to do or could do. So there's like a, you know, I, I consider it like there's these neural pathways in the collective consciousness that it's like digging out a, a tunnel in a mine. And these skills, these aptitudes are the gold or the ore that we're mining for. And whenever a new person wants to come and try to get some of that gold, they get to like jog through the tunnel until they reach the wall that everybody else is at. And then their progress is like, okay, we're chipping away at this wall together, but there's something to it. Like we can, (laughs) the more of us that do, do one thing and do it well, the easier it is for us to catch other people up to our level at that thing. Absolutely. And since you're bringing this up, so one of the best things, right. For like, there's a sale going on right now on Smashwords. So check it out, all of your favorite authors. I put as many of my books as I can at 75% off. And the reason that's awesome is to have it in ebook form. When you're going through the audio books, you can listen to Chance narrate it. But then if he ever says a word, you're like, I want to see how that word is spelled in whatever language, whatever, then you can just pull it up on the ebook and, and verify it. So it's super resourceful, it's super good for reference. Um, so I just want to bring that up because, you know, the, the work that we've done with Spirit World is not getting enough attention and it's literally trailblazing so much stuff that you're not going to find ever in one place to find some of this stuff. You'd have to spend a decade or more reading all these old, you know, original source material or the closest to source material that you can get to it. And so, you know, just what we've done is something that will create a quickening if it ever gets taken seriously, just like what we're talking about right now. Well, it's absolutely true, man. People that like my channel, my show, they think that maybe I know a thing or two about symbolism or about the universal keys, keys to the universal system. I was accelerated in my understanding of this by Dylan's work to a degree that's pretty hard to even describe. Like, you witnessed it, Dylan. But you I saw me like start your your work, yeah. and then now I'm like, now I'm getting it. You know, it happened pretty fast, and that's an example of what we're talking about—the quickening for sure. And I and I I was able in the last three years to accelerate and quicken too because you referred me to Crow, and I got on Crow right before he stopped posting on YouTube. So my very first episode popped Spirit World off and made me enough money in royalties for, you know, the rest of that year where I could now have savings stacked up so that I didn't have to go back to work when I lost all my jobs. I mean, I went to work every day. I worked even harder at Spirit World. And as a result, three more books got published. 
And now you've seen over the last year what I've done on Substack. By the year's end, there will have been like 126 uh, articles. That's my research. And then that will eventually be compounded and expanded on into a more succinct, another book. But it's not going to be be the best book. book. It'll be the best book yet, probably, because your process is refined so much since then. I'm really happy about that that whole story. Yeah, and that happened because of you. So it's like it's one of those things we mutually helped each other. And high um, five. Yeah, I'm very nice. High five. I love America. <laughs> um, but yeah, I posted so like, the guys. I posted the Smashwords profile in the live chat here. God, it's like two dollars and fifty cents for an ebook. Yeah, and post post your uh, links to the the books because if you could pick whatever one you want for free, you can listen to all of them, see which one you want to delve into. I recommend going in process, but some people don't want to do that. Like if you're just interested in like the Phoenician gravy, maybe just start at book five. But you can listen to it and get it for free to see you can if you've never been what's uh, if you've never been a subscriber to Audible, you get a free trial and then you get one free book. And so you can listen to it free. And then at the end of the month, decide if you want to stay enrolled or if it's not for you, there was no, literally no risk, but it doesn't take away from what chance we'll get from it. Yeah. I'm grabbing a link right here. People can start with July's end. Here's the audio book narrated by me, but let's get back to some questions here. Uh, I think Dylan, or I think uh, Gabe is is still here. He's just invisible. Oh yeah. Back. The subject of dreams, I don't know if we very well answered the question about telekinesis, but uh, the fact that dreams came up, I had this dream a few days ago. As much as I like rail against the whole, you know, white light trap, the demiurge, the creation is a repeating incarnation, prison of Lushing, soul factory, blah, 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 that whole thing. I had a dream that was basically that. It was so interesting. I, you know how time dilation can occur in a dream where I don't know how else to describe it other than in this dream, I started like in the middle of a different life. I was a different person. I had awareness of my entire life up to that point as if I was literally like in a completely different life that had a full timeline. And that life, I lived through it. I got killed in this dream. And then I was in the place between lives and I figured out how to get into the next life, which I had no choice. I had to go to the next life, but I figured out how to keep my memories when I got to the next one. And so I'm there and I'm like, uh, it's, I'm, I jump in, in the middle of the next life again, but with full awareness of everything that had happened up to that point. And then the people that were like my family and friends in this new life, they were the same souls or the same beings as who was there the previous time, but they had all forgot about the life before, but I remembered it. And basically I went through this like a few times trying to help people see like, Hey, we've been doing this. We, we, we did this before. I know you already. <laughs> and when I would get to the place between lives, I kept trying to get, I kept trying to get like James Franco when he's about to get hung and he's talking to the other guys like first time. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was like, the, the way I describe it is the the dance between being incarnated, <laughs> the dance between being incarnated and the in between lives was on stage and backstage. And I, I kept trying to get back to the backstage. I think I even like intentionally left the stage 
AKA like died on purpose in the dream at one point. And then I there were guards here. And then there were guards backstage and they wouldn't let me leave. So I had two choices. I could just hang out backstage and couldn't leave or I could get back on stage. And that was it. You were like okay. Prince. Prince and <laughs> like they're like, you better get back on tour. We Keep dancing. So anyway, that was like one of the weirdest dreams of my life because the amount of time that passed in that dream was more time than I've been alive in this life. And I was like aware of it all. It's hard to describe. Do you still um, keep tabs on James Bomar? Uh, it's been a while. I like that guy, though. I, I have. Yeah, I haven't. I mean, I don't subscribe to him anymore just because I, I, I don't really listen to any contemporaries relating to these subjects anymore because there's so much feast of nonsense. But one of his um, reels got recommended to me on Instagram the other day. And what you were just talking about, but his, his Instagram handle, I think, is at Astral Quest. It might benefit you to look at it because that's exactly what he's ex- describing existence where it's like, you know, you go to sleep, you dream and you pop back in. And it's like, that's what life and death is. It's just more layers and layers of existence. And uh, I think there might be some, I've had some, I generally don't talk about these experiences, but I've had some experiences where I've checked out and like, you're talking to other people about what like people are like whole teams of people are monitoring you as you go back into it. And it, and that's what's blown my mind about the cyberpunk game is because there's a lot of that with like the engram of like imprinting your personality and your thoughts onto material that can then be transferred. And it really does seem like the people behind a lot of this transhumanism in the occult, I think have learned some things or two about the nature of reality and they're trying to tweak it in their own way, you know? And I think there might be something to the fact that, um, your soul, whatever that, whatever you want to call that supernatural energy, whatever that's piloting this thing <laughs> just goes in and out and into different worlds. Yeah. So that was a dream. <laughs> I'm yeah, I, I'm I'm with you though. I think like existence just oscillates you know, in that Chance, that way. We continue existing when you when you were. T- All right, sorry, coming in, coming in hot. Clear the road, Gabe. When you hear, let's do this. It's when you were talking about your dream, I was in the. I was just going to say, don't stop. Don't you. Yeah, yeah. We'll stop when we hear you, but you don't ever have to stop. How about that? <laughs> all right. All right. I love it. So, yeah, in, the other day in the in the chat, Chance, you mentioned that dream. And right away, I thought about the Alethe River in Hades is the river that everybody goes to right away. You get off the tour bus and you go over to the Alethe and you drink from the river of forgetfulness. But if you went to the Eleusinian Mysteries, you got the backstage pass. You have the secret golden child map that nobody else has. And here's the inside scoop. I'm going to tell you the Eleusinian Mysteries. When everybody turns right to drink out of the dirty river, you turn left instead, and there's a palm tree over there. Go over to that palm tree and drink from that river that nobody else is drinking out of, and then you will remember everything. And the cool thing about this little nugget of Hades is it's the choice gift to an epicure. 
it's the perfect little nugget for your personality type chance. And the, the remedial Kung Fu skill of a number seven is abstinence, is the ability to be like, none at all. No, nope, not just a little. I don't want any. And so that remedial virtue is going to be like your angel on your shoulder when you get to the Alete and you'll be like, yeah, you guys can drink my share. I'm over here with the palm tree. Come on, Jen. <laughs> dude, dude, I have to jump in. I just full stop. Do you know? Okay, so this is definitely something for Gabe and he might be able to pull something. So I've got an article coming out. Uh, later this week and i talk about the word lethe or it's actually it's lite because the ada is accented so you got to pronounce it like a latin i but it means oblivion and forgetfulness or concealment but i was looking into this uh basically a lexicon for the welsh the cornish and the armorican and in welsh they have a word that's uh i think it's lite it's l h a e t h then they have in the Cornish, the variant is leat, which is L-E-A-T-H. And then in Morgan, it's leas, which is L-E-A-S. And I'm, forgive me if I'm pronouncing them wrong, but it means milk. And I wonder if there is a significance between the milk and the Greek river. The, 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 you know, how we talk about with, with like the... Rivers of milk and honey or whatever the hell. And I, ju I just wonder if there's something to that, that maybe Gabe will go on his next level and figure out. Yes, sir. Yes, absolutely. This, uh, this is a big one, guys. This is a real big one. Um, so, uh, oh, this is such an interesting little weave here. Right now, my mind, I'm, I'm going to bring you guys to the big picture and bring it back to this alethe and the forgetfulness and the loss of excellence, the less the loss of er, errate or irete, uh, the excellence. I'm studying the erotes. The erotes are the passions. There are seven of them. And uh, they are like little cherubs, uh, little, uh, they're the train that comes along with Aphrodite. It's all the baggage that comes with love. And, um, and they are very fascinating. I think they're central to the Enneagram. I'm going to skip all the BS. I'll just cut straight to the chase. I think the Orote babies, there are seven of them. I think they only have six chairs. I think they anatomically attach to the internal mechanistic uh, 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 play of the human experience, but they only have six seats. And so it's fascinating that you mentioned musical chairs earlier, Chance, in the spiritual realm, uh, because these seven angels, um, they have an order. They have a ring. It's called the train of frenzies. And you notice this word frenzies, it goes a lot of places fast, doesn't it? When we say the word frenzies, a lot of thoughts coagulate into a very fascinating hunt, and a lot of mythology attaches to the frenzies. But what I'm working on is that there's an order to this chaos, that the frenzies have to roll out in a very specifically, I believe, socially engineered fashion. Uh, that they can, like a switch, they can turn on and people can get to going crazy on each other. 
Uh, and generally in a healthy society, these little cherubs are all comfortably arranged. Um, and there's a, and the odd man out of this musical chairs game should always be the same for everybody. We should all agree that, oh yeah, that's the thing not to do. Yep, we all agree on this is the thing not to do. And when they want to stir the ant farm, they uh, rearrange the seats on these little chair babies. Um, and so that nobody has the same odd man out and nobody can see eye to eye. And that is, I think, what happened with the lockdowns recently. These little cherub babies are fascinating. They are fascinating. But I think some of the triggers, some of the evidence that this is the thing that gets your heart going out of control, puts you in a frenzy real quick, is some of the tr trigger words that have been alchemically boiled down. Child trafficking, right? These are uh, uh, even child labor. This is literally the children, their inner child, doing these works, pulling on our heartstrings. Uh, just a decade ago, these little babies were very orderly and very uh, harmonic. But something happened in the past couple of years that have really shaken up uh, the way that these uh, erotes operate. There's a lot of confusion. Something has happened in the in the me mechanics. Uh, it does map out on my Enneagram, turns into a real long story. But what's really wild, y'all, is the word erotes has this desire, this kind of it's, we presume too much sex on it. That's just because it is there, but it's not as much as we think. It's some of the spectacle. Uh, but what's wild is that uh, that word for excellence is so similar. Uh, erete. It's like, instead of erote, it's erete. And that is the word for excellence, which is so very vilified right now. In all of these uh, excelling and be, uh, demanding more, having a, a, that alpha mentality, that drive for excellence, that is what is in the crosshairs. And so, uh, so yeah, so, uh, psychologically, this is all very profound. What I what I think I'm finding when I plug these ba these little cherubs into the enneagram, I think I have found what could be described as a word that sh that has been misused. I think I might be looking at Greek religion. And the word Greek religion should not exist because religion didn't exist back then. We're, we're projecting incorrectly into the past our own cultural lens. But when you plug these babies into the Enneagram, a machine starts to actually operate. And I'm seeing it in Loki uh, in a major way. Um, it really starts to operate and, and it has a hermetic completion. It's it's completely intact. All the puzzle pieces are are whole. There's no empty spots in in. Well, that's not true. That's not exactly true. I think there's one extra puzzle piece, but I'm working that out. So the reason this so is all super cool fun. and has to do with excellence and excelling and accelerationism, because right now there is a a spirit of accelerationism ACC that is running amok. And it speaks a language that those with the laconic ear to hear these dog whistle words being dropped and seeded throughout the, the psychosphere, it's really fascinating because Operation Warp Speed sounds like, roger that, copy, acceleration granted. Um, so yeah, these little Orote babies, uh, I find them to be the push and the pull 
of our emotional landscape. And so what's fascinating is we're so heady. We're so thoughtful. We even use these words like psyche and uh, penuma, P-N-E-U-M-A. You know, they say that means air. That means spirit first. That means soul before it meant air, you know, and even the word psyche, we go into this, but these are the heart centered heart strings. And what's fascinating, this gets really contentious because when we start putting names on these things, uh, sensitivity flares up in in amazing ways. And I think it's beautiful and awesome. Uh, But these little heart strings of the feelings of the internal landscape, they really do like excite. They're meant to excite. And so it's hard to even talk about them because they draw our passions into the conversation. And the next thing you know, we're like all feeling the fire. It's a beautiful thing. So, yeah, these are on my radar. When you mentioned the uh, the one without the chair. Is it possible that that the one without the chair would be Eros and the others or the sun and the others following are the planets? Because there's seven, you said, right? Yes, yes. This is such a fascinating question. I love that the way you frame that. Yes, that because uh, the way that I found them was through the symposium where they're they're seeking arrows. They're they're trying to describe arrows and and doing a decent job. But each uh, subsequent conversation overcomes the first one, and so they become increasingly superior conversations describing it. But what happens is that. None of them really nail it, but the way that they each get it wrong in their unique frame becomes one of the derivatives of Eros. And that's one of these minor brothers that we that are less that are unsung. They're less uh, uh, glorified. So we sum them all up in the one word of Eros. But in fact, they actually have these very fine and subtle natures. Like one of them is named Sweet Talk, Heady Logos. I think this is the origin of addiction. Addiction, Sweet Talk. Your addiction, you sweet talk yourself into uh, taking on your vice. Um, But also Heady Logos actually has a, a relationship with rhetoric. And so when I'm a rhetorician and I'm up on the, and I'm doing my hand gesture right now, I'm doing this thing with my mouth, like this thing that I'm doing with my hand, that's actually some of Hedy Logos is known to use hand gestures for hypnotic speech, mesmeric speech. And one of the, uh, one of the magic touch of this little baby is that it uses hand movements to enchant you. Uh, And I'm realizing like, We've, we all do rhetoric, and I talk with my hands a whole lot. So that means I've already been initiated into this heady logos idea. I just didn't know I was doing it. And it has ancient roots uh, that I need to honor in a better way. That's what I'm, I'm working on right now. And, and so are they all depicted as cherubs or just uh, like just that one enteros? Just almost entares. <laughs> I, I think they, they're yes, not they always. Are all, uh, Sometimes little, they're more grown up. Like this is Ontaros right here. And what I what I think might be going on. This may connect to the yes, yes the seven sages that are that come with Manu in the Hindu system. Yes. Like because these these Arates <laughs> they come with hermaphroditus, which is exactly the same as the incarnation of Manu or who who is identical to Eros 
and the seven sages that come with him following the creation of everything from the Orphic or Brahmin egg, Brahma Maya, Brahma Maya identical to hermaphrodite. Like if you look closely, this is not, this is hermaphrodite. There's a little ween there and it's not clipped. <laughs> so although what you're talking about is on a whole nother yeah. level of understanding, like, yes, that is, you know, the, the different flavors of the erotic or attractive principle, which is the savior aspect of the Trinity. But I, I think I can syncretize this. If I put my, if I put my head to it and, you know, reviewed my notes, I bet that this relates to the seven sages of uh menu from Hinduism, but it's the same thing. And just to add uh, some whipped cream onto yes, the yes, pie, you, just, uh, you guys served up. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Keith. Oh well, I I was just going to say that their their little names, uh, I think, reveal a great deal about their orientation and their uh, and their their alchemy. Like if you had a family of nine people and each one of them was a quintessential personality type, like the one sits in the one spot, and you put them in a room. And then you had them all write letters to each other, potential one type, two type, three type. The energy that their communication in the note will take on a flavor. And the flavor of that energy is summarized in the essence of the name of that type of cherub. And now this is to say that like heady logos could be between any of the number relationships, but it's going to have a stronger tendency between the eight or let me see between the seven and the one personality type. I think they're holding that thread of that kind of a relationship. And so that is the kind of like fine minutia detail that we're talking about the flavor of a feeling that these things are that ethereal, but I think they have a consistency that we can kind of resurrect. Um, and the empty seat thing, that might be too confusing. Uh, I have a feeling, I have a guess, and it might not help, but I feel like the extra the extra cherub is the is supposed to be the uh, is supposed to be more integrated into the auric field. And so I think this vestigial organ that is the placenta is a throne that the seventh orote is supposed to be doing a job, supposed to be working. It should all syncopate. And there's an inefficiency in the, in the, uh, in the system. And uh, each person, each personality type ends up with an extra cherub more regularly because of their, uh, their, uh, Enneagram orientation or tendencies or habits. Uh, that's my guess why there's an extra seat. Isn't that weird? Well, Isn't that so weird? I, I want to give you something to think about when you look at this stuff, just some little sprinklings and whipped cream on top of the pie you guys just served up. When you see uh, Kerub or Kerubim, when you see that I am, you know you're dealing with Hebrew. So that's a plural termination for Hebrew. So the singular would just be Kerub, and then the, the I am lets you know multiples. The ones that you see that are depicted like Kerubs, 
the etymology of that word is ker. There's, I think if you were to spell it in Hebrew, it would be kaf resh. Um, there's also karar. And they transliterate it like a K-A-R-A-R, something like that. But it would just look like kaf resh resh. Um, and then the other one is, so this pertains to cycles. Of, uh, and then uh, in circular motions. And then ob, which is uh, O-U-B would be like alpha, uh, vav, bet. That is serpent, which is going to be cycles of time. So when you see Kerubim, you're dealing with cycles of time. So pay attention to whichever one of those erotes is depicted like that. That's why I asked you if all of them were depicted as, as that, or if it's just like one or two, you know, just something to be mindful of when you look into it. Gabe, look at these carabs on the Virgin and Child by Giovanni Bellini. That, I mean, does it, could they look more like placentas? For being winged baby heads, I mean, geez. I don't know if you can see the screen right now. Looks like uh, the Egyptian shrine head. That's totally placental, absolutely. And uh, and also, yes, Chance, you're totally right. I think an important thing is that originally the erotes were actually like teen bucks. They were actually like really mature, kind of buff like capable, which I think speaks to like the, the uh, Greek masculine comfort that they're not threatened by uh, teenage virulence. Uh, but then slowly over time, the, these, uh, the train behind Aphrodite has been infantilized and turned into a uh, younger and younger and younger all the way down to babies. And I think that dynamic is a, has a profound reflection on the, on the psychology of the people participating. I think the, the infantilization of man walks in stride with the, uh, the diminishing of these little cherubs. Um, and then another fascinating thing about all of this, the kind of uh, point, points or it tells me that it's still very important is that uh, Valentine's Day is hiding, is obfuscating Lupercalia. And they're not as different as we think. If you think of like, you know, courting your loved one as a hunt, as like seeking out what you desire, going after it, get it, take the, take the initiative, get it now. Um, in a fun way, that is what Lupercalia is as well, is this great, beautiful hunt uh, ceremoniously preserved. And um, and then one more component to this, I think that uh, we should always remember, per Lupercalia, we should always remember symbolically there is a difference between hunting and doing war. And this is why Artemis is a huntress. She is in the woods and Athena is a battle goddess. And those two chemi chemicals don't mix. One is for killing and for fighting other humans. The other is out of necessity and need and maybe even desperation. And that is why Athena is in the comfort of the fall and Artemis is in the desperation of the winter. Like even the time of year is appropriate for the spirit of their, for their meaning. But uh, I'm just uh, putting all of this as a promise for Valentine's Day. I hope to have more work to share with everybody about the arrows and the little babies hiding out 
immortally in all of our hearts. I got, I got have to, this is an emergency interjection. So the root of Venus, that VEN, it's going to be venery. It's specifically related to the chase, the hunt. It's also seen in vengeance. But guess what? I came across this when I was, when I've been looking at these Celtic languages, there's, you know how there's like the G U interchange with W like, so you have Guillerme or William, or you have Gere, which is war. And then Gere is like the, that word for war. So G U and W interchange. Well, that word for Venus in Welsh is Gwener, G-U-E-N-E-R. So you see it there too. And also in Cornish, it's uh, Gwenar, G-U-E-N-A-R. And um, just going back to what you're saying about like the war, the chase, but also the, the martial nature of it. And in Mercury, in Cornish, Mercury is called Marar. So you've got that Mars root in it, M-A-R-H-A-R. Something to think about. Since we're on the subject, maybe we should uh, take a look at what Rachel says about why not to put Christmas lights on palm trees. This is why. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Not to take not to take away from what Dylan just said, because that's one that I I don't think about as often. The GU interchange to W. That's big. And the other thing I was showing right before that was the, the seven archangels which are, is a version of carob and that's evidently the seven planets, you know, maybe the extra seat could be Neptune, Neptune or <laughs> Uranus planets that are further out, harder to see that, that could have something to do with it. But anyway, guys, let's put a, a couple more of these questions that I saved from earlier to the, to the test. All right. Arabic Day Lion Spielberg Tonight says, who is a non-relative in-person guy who inspired or challenged you to stoke your man fire? Stories too rare regarding living men positively impacting next generation men to positively embrace masculinity. So either of you guys have a positive role model that's masculine in your life, maybe a, a mentor or a generation got, up that you actually know personally. I got one, I got one quick one and it's not a, it's not a role model per se, but this was a harsh lesson And man. It's so funny when you, when you resent how uh, purposeful a lesson can be <laughs> that way you never forget it. Uh, but a roommate once uh, hit me very wisely that if a friend owes you money and you get that money back, you consider yourself so fucking lucky <laughs> because when you loan money to a friend, you should be doing it, not expecting it to get it back. Yeah, I would I never like, loan. I would I never, never do that. that. If I give someone money, I'm like, just hear me. Yeah, you don't so get back on your feet. And then you help me when I need your help down the line. Yeah. Yeah. That's really the only way to, to give. That was not expecting it. Like only give if you can give it without getting it back and that'll be okay for you. 
You know, that's that should be like a rule of thumb. Otherwise, you build up resentment. Right. You know, uh, right. I've had, that was the lesson. Yes, yes. That was totally the, the lesson. The lesson for me was I was expecting to get the money back. And I was talking about it as though the money was going to come back. And he was looking at me like, but that's your friend. Why do you expect the money back? What? What? And, and I had to realize, oh, wait, no, that it was really what a friend does if they don't expect it back. And that was a that was a great lesson. Uh, that person and I don't have the best karma today, but I still love them for what I learned. For me, a, a strong masculine role model. They were pretty. They're pretty few and far between in real life. Honestly, uh, there's some good ones online, but that's not really the question. My grandfather, his name was Sterling, but he went by his middle name Wayne. He uh, he passed away actually earlier this year, died of suddenly. So that's unfortunate, but great guy. He made it to 88 or 89, but uh, he, he, he demonstrated what it meant to just like, keep trucking, you know, keep, keep moving, keep being productive. Don't be dependent in any way. Like he made, he went his whole life without being dependent on anybody and made it all the way to 88 or 89. And then, just kind of died instantly. <laughs> so that to me, I think that's the kind of life that uh, men or the masculine would want to strive for where nobody's ever at any point changing your diapers or, and no, 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 sh no offense or shame to anybody that has some kind of health issue come up where they really do need help or something along those lines. But to me, that was like the ultimate, honestly, he was like gardening. As an 89-year-old, he grew most of his own food by himself, you know, did his own field plowing. And, like, it wasn't a humongous garden, but it was enough for himself. And at 65, what I remember most about my grandfather, that is just, like, the manliest shit ever. He was 65 years old, and he owned some land that he had inherited from the family. And he decided to turn it into a neighborhood, like a subdivision. And he built a he built a subdivision of houses, mostly by himself, just hiring a few contractors out here and there to do a few things that maybe he needed a hand with. But he like he he dug all the foundations, he poured all the concrete, he did all the framing and the electrical and practically everything for I don't know twenty houses. <laughs> starting at 65, like a lot of people, they're ready to draw their social security. They're, they're tapping out at 65. My grandfather was like, all right, let's do this. And he built a neighborhood. So that is, uh, that's the most masculine role model I ever had in my life. And probably more than anybody, nobody could probably top that in terms of just straight up manliness. I mean, the dude, you know, they're just built different people that were raised on a farm compared to us uh, children of the internet. Like my grandfather's hand, if you put my hand next to his hand, my hand looks like a little child hand, <laughs> his thumb. I kid you not. His thumb was like that big around. Like I probably couldn't wrap my finger and my thumb around his thumb. His hands were so huge. So Dude was just an absolute legend, total crusher. So 
that's yeah, that's my answer to that question. Dylan, who's your your manly so role model I'm gonna have in to real life? The, You know, I don't, I don't actually, I've had, uh, I have a, I have a lot of them. Um, I'm, I'm from a place that's very like, like very mat, like hyper masculine. So I don't want to like name names and shit and tell people about stuff, but I will say this. There was one conversation I had, uh, with somebody who's very powerful and he asked me if I was independent and i i thought about it and i i don't really feel like i was and i was like no i'm I'm not and he's like that's a great answer he's like you're never gonna be independent because every single person in your life does something that you need to operate your business and i'm we're talking a guy who's worth Probably might be a billionaire. I don't know. I don't, I wouldn't ask his like net worth, but he owns some shit, right? Like, I mean, he's, he's sold properties for over 70 million. And he said, if my electricity goes out, I don't know how to fix it. Am I independent? No. I need an electrician. If I have an issue with my plumbing, my plumbing goes out. Am I independent? No, I need, I would need a plumber. So what I learned early on is when I, when I see that kind of humility and like really that attitude from wealthy, powerful men who recognize the value of, you know, they may be making a lot more money, but there's still people whose jobs are really important that are maybe perceived way further down the food chain, but someone still acknowledges the significance of that person. That's one of the things that has stayed with me. Uh, for a long time. I think that's a great lesson, but I don't want to name names and shit, the influences that I have. And that's a good point too, that <laughs> you can be as, you can be like really uh, self-reliant, but everything still, there's still a chain of interdependence in life that, yeah, I mean, even bringing up my grandfather, he would still hire the right person to help him do something. If that was what was needed. He strived to understand how everything worked. And he's like a true Renaissance man. And he could do probably a lot of things on his own if he had to. But I think that is a huge lesson. It is a wall that people hit sometimes where, especially in entrepreneurial endeavors, the inability to let things go or actually ask for help. I did a tuning for somebody yesterday. Yeah, it was yesterday. And we're working on the tendency to get like all caught up in the to-do list to assign way too much work to oneself, really stress out the, the right hip area with the guilt driven overdoing it and pushing oneself too hard and all the tension that was built up there. This was somebody that was born in a, a poverty situation and raised in a poverty situation and had like the pendulum swing reaction of there's no way I'm ever going to, be poor or dependent like that. So I've got to overdo everything and work really hard, like work too hard to the point of not being able to really enjoy life. And they had worked this, this client had worked a lot on 
when I tell stories, I know I sound sometimes like I'm trying to make it sound really extreme. This is really common, but this client had really worked hard to learn to delegate in life, especially as a business owner. And I'd come a long way with that. But what we found in the tuning was how the micromanaging was still a thing or like assigning the thing to another person without actually trusting that they're going to do it and following up and following up and like basically still doing the the job in their head that they had assigned to the other person. And so burning the energy mentally as if they were doing the work and exhausting themselves as if they had just done it themselves. So there's kind of a lesson there too of like, yeah, you, you got to be able to delegate to get past a certain level in life or you're never, because there's only so much time one person has, but then not just delegate, but trust <laughs> because it's that energy of like, checking in, micromanaging, not trusting. And that actually attracts in a sense, or it programs the world around you that the people that you're asking for help are not actually going to be trustworthy or helpful. You know, you're not even a business owner at that point. If you can't let it, if you can't hire right and leverage yourself out of it, you're not, you've just created more jobs for yourself. Yeah, exactly. Okay, got a couple more questions I want to hit up. So I got a couple uh, kung fu stories. Oh yeah, kung fu stories. I got a couple Dude. kung fu stories on that question. All right, this one I almost went into it earlier, but this is one of my favorite kung fu stories of all time. It's Shaolin Temple. Seems like a normal day when the cowboy from the west comes knocking at the gates, and the host comes and greets the cowboy and says, "You're welcome to come into the temple." but your firearm has to stay here at the door. The cowboy's like, yeah, right, Kung Fu guy. Yeah, right. I'm here for your master. He's like, well, please come inside. Please come inside. You're a welcome guest here. And he lets him keep his pistol. He says, well, you'll have to come and have some tea and the master will be down to see you in a moment. And he's like, all right, all right. Don't be looking at my gun. So the cowboy goes and he has a seat. And the host runs up to the master's quarters and he says, Master, there's an unruly Westerner and he refuses to put down his firearm. I I fear for your life. Shall we rally the troops? Shall we shall we call in the low hand monks and start on start on the uh, the defensive strategy? And the master says, no, no, serve him the best tea we have. Make sure he's comfortable. Set him at the at the head of the table. Treat him like the worthy guest that he is. And so all of the monks get the vibe from the master that this guy is to be treated like royalty, despite his uh, inability to follow the rules. And so all the monks come to the table and the master comes down and graces this unruly Westerner with his presence. And they sip the tea and they serve the meal and everybody's getting along just fine. And as the, as the tea is finished, the Westerner pushes his, his chair back. And he says, so I've come a long way to see what you're made out of, Mr. Kung Fu Man. And I want to see what your hand-to-hand combat can do against old Colt 45 here on my hip. And the master says, I understand that you've come a long way to demonstrate the superiority of your Western mechanical prowess. Please, I invite you. Draw on me and fire. The cowboy's like, are you sure? The master opens his arms invitingly. Cowboy draws, bam, puts a bullet right through the back of the chair. 
The master's nowhere to be seen. The clo- the clouds clear up, and there's a giggle from behind the cowboy, and the master's standing behind him. The cowboy puts his gun down, takes off his belt, retires his entire career, becomes a Shaolin monk at that temple. That night, after how did he do it? Goes to the master's quarters. He says, Master, you never taught us anything about disappearing. How could I've spent all of my life and I'm not even remotely in the direction of learning how to disappear? How can you do such amazing feats? And the master says, Well, I wasn't planning on teaching you. And I don't plan on teaching you, but I will give you this information about what you saw tonight. The reason I don't teach that technique is because every time you do it, it removes one year from your life. And that would be a very irresponsible technique to teach just anybody. But I'll give you this secret. (laughs) The firearm comprises of a chain of events that are interdependent. The trigger has to attach to the spring that has to line up just right. That has to let the barrel roll so that the bullets line up with the hammer. And maybe the hammer hits right to this time. And then the bullet has a long way to go before it finds a fatal flaw in me. The gun is attached to his hand and his hand has to have the right timing that is attached to his thumb that he thinks is separate from himself. I am one organism. I am one tool. I am one implement. There is no causal chain. I am one. And that is the secret how the cowboy lost to the Kung Fu master. And then, so that's a hero who has influenced me. I'm gonna show. I'm gonna show you guys the move. Uh, I met a kung fu master when I was very young, before I had ever done anything. This was like the first adult male doing kung fu with nobody. He's fighting phantoms. <laughs> He's doing a kata. He was doing a form. I didn't know what that was. I didn't know it had a cool uh, Japanese name, the kata. But his form was very informative. Let me see if I can do this without knocking shit over. We can't see you, though. All right. <laughs> Just so you know, we can't oh, you, see you. You can't? Am I invisible? You're, okay, you're well, invisible. I'll describe it. Maybe, <laughs> no, 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 no. Drop it out and come back and within, with your video camera. Maybe will, you just I need will, to enable your video killer. camera. This move is just killer. I thought he was doing that on purpose. I thought maybe he was thinking like, oh, if I cut the video screen, it'll stop the roboting. Well, no, it, it kind of did. I mean, it made it made his voice Here, more. I'll clear. cut out and come back. Yeah, but I don't think it's intentional. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't tell Gabe, but uh, for Christmas, I'm sending him a, a Wi-Fi range extender USB to plug into his laptop so he can because it's it's a range issue and he's in different parts of his house. It works. So don't, don't tell him. Yeah, I've noticed uh, that the past few times that he's when he's he's been on a delay, and I know it just started over the last month or so. Since he switched to being on his laptop. Oh yeah, there we go. In his zebra room. Okay, we can see you, buddy. You're you're here. Yeah, you've appeared. Welcome back. All right. So this move this guy did 
was super advanced. Do not try this at home. It was great. Uh, let's see. All right. <laughs> Block. Throw grab. Ball grab. Lift into the sky. Spin one time. Drop the man on your knee. <laughs> Did you guys hear the narrative there? Did that come through? Yeah, yeah, that's basically that what Bane did, did to through? Batman, right? A neck, th a throw grab, a ball grab, lift him over your head, spin one time, and drop him over your knee. Now, I want everybody to enjoy the dramatics, but the cool part was the spinning one time conveyed a message to all your other enemies. That rotation was telling everybody around you, you're fucking next, pal. And when you drop that motherfucker on your knee, you don't have to fight anybody else. That's the end of the form. <laughs> I wish you were my Kung Fu teacher for real. And I love that rotation aspect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so psychological. I just love it. Rachel, thank you for this really kind super chat. Appreciate that a lot. You're always donating. There's a handful of you guys that do like 90% of the super chatting. And everybody else, they're just freeloading, which is fine. We're glad you're here. We love you. But be like Rachel. <laughs> Send us money. Uh, I have a question that's geared towards Dylan. And I think this is going to be a good one. All right. So the question is, are the books after the first one written from a more mature perspective? I was disappointed in the first and the author's issues overwhelmed the work for me. It came off as angry and I don't need that vibe. What, what is your response to that, Dylan? Does that make you angry? In the words of Elon Musk, go fuck yourself. <laughs> no, seriously, they're, they're, go fuck yourself. <laughs> speaking as uh your one of your greatest uh fans of your work actually first do, of all i do think that the work gets more mature as every author does over time well that's right? your that's you talking out of your ass because the books are written all at the same time the, the work was done all the same time but i put everything on hold because life took over right? Like I had other things. So I gave my audience in the get go, I gave them the choice on my social media. I said, do you want one book that's going to be like a thousand pages or do you want me to divide it up? And the vote, I, it was a community thing. They asked to divide it up. Really? That's why like, that's happened. All, all of them were already written. I just the, think that there's some the work was done. And so like the research you mean? Yeah. Yeah. But you're, you're writing like improves as you do more of it. That's what I mean. Like, that's just natural. Yeah. But in terms of like, Oh, the maturity and angry, like that, first of all, that's a presumption. 
If it's not your vibe, I mean, I, I kind of feel like you just did me dirty by setting me up for that. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. You know? I, I, I'm no, looking I'd say for- it's fine. It's fine. Listen, but it goes to show everybody that chance doesn't set things up for me. There's nobody throwing me like underhanded things that are easy to hit. But for me, it's like you're presuming that, oh, the book's angry and immature and not my vibe. So are the other ones not that? And I would say, I think the, the other ones are not that to begin with. I think you've presumed that and that's how you perceive it. And that's your issue it has nothing to do with me. So again, in the words of Elon Musk, go fuck yourself. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> it's like, it's like the, the Baphomet thing, you know, it's like the, the spooky guardian of wisdom. It's like, oh, I can point at that and say, that's bad. So that means I don't have to do any kind of mental exercise to try to understand what I'm looking at. You know, it's if I can give an excuse for why this isn't for me, then I don't have to stretch my mind to learn. And I can just say, oh, it must be unimportant because I don't like it. It hurts my feelings. And you got to watch out for that. Like you won't get very far in life if you can't just take information on its own for its own value and also (laughs) get past some like get past the feelings. I would part. say if somebody's like, it's not my vibe and he's angry, I'd say, just don't just stay away from it. Not for you. Right. You can go to a restaurant. It can be a Michelin star chef and they may have an, you may order a dish and you don't like it. Doesn't mean the dish isn't good. It's a you thing. And that's fine. That's you're entitled to that opinion, but to then presume that it's not a good quality dish because you didn't like it when the chef is a Michelin star celebrity chef. Maybe you need to do some self-reflecting on your, on go look in the mirror and say, why am I such a pussy? Why? (laughs) Right. And that's what I would say. I I don't like mustard very much, but if a really nice sandwich gets made for me and there's mustard on it, I'm going to eat the sandwich. I'm going to appreciate everything about the sandwich and just accept like, yeah, that mustard, it's not my favorite, but, this is a great sandwich. I'm glad I'm eating this sandwich. You know what I mean? It's, it's simplify your metaphor there. Uh, and Arabic day lion Spielberg tonight <laughs> says, take this the best way chance reading Dylan's books has been the best balance tone energy wise value Dylan's voice and chances, but together magic. <laughs> Jenny says she's trying to get me into mustard. Yeah, buddy, I didn't mean to do you dirty. Oh, you, did, you did do me dirty, but I want what I want you to do is I want you to go to my no, no seriously, I want you to go to my comment section or sorry, my community section on my YouTube page. Could you do that real quick? Yeah, buddy. Just do this for me because this person has poisoned everything and you, you've brought it to the forefront and allowed it to poison the conversation. So I want to give another guest experience at Il Ristorante of Spirit World, okay? If you go to my YouTube and you're sharing it on the, you'll see that I've promoted, uh, let me, you know what, let me just find it. I'll post, I'll post it in the, in the chat so you can pull it up because somebody else I'm, who I'm in here. I've okay. Got it. So, so you see the second, uh, if you scroll down to the second time I've promoted the eBooks, the only reason I left this all up is because my, uh, somebody, uh, Somebody said something really nice and I didn't want to delete that because if I, 
if I delete it, it's gone forever. But uh, it, it, so you see the smash words, it'll be the second scroll down, keep going. Yes. Now in that, see the two comments, click on that. And that first comment, what does it say? Your books changed my life. Wishing you a very Merry Christmas, Dylan. Yeah. So again, to respond to that person who's like, is he angry? Yeah, just just in the words of Elon Musk, you know what to do. Okay. Yeah, and I, brought, and, I, and I brought that up because... And anyone who's going to criticize me, I just, I just want to see one piece of social proof where somebody says that your work changed their life, and then you compare them instead of busting my balls. There you go. And your, your work changed my life dramatically. Anybody that might be around that followed the show for long enough, like before I got into spirit world and after would definitely know that. And I brought that up. <laughs> Sorry for the sneak attack. I should have probably maybe like lobbed that to you. Uh, no, no, don't, no, don't worry about it. it. It's, it's, it's fine. I don't but mind. I just I, think the thing is, is it, get, it, it gives, it, it, it poisons the well, you know what I mean? I see it, that it, I it see gives that some, now. it's like, it's, it gives some, it's, it's basically starting off presuming that the book is that when it's just somebody's opinion and that's fine. They're entitled to that opinion. Go make a post, give us some free marketing. That's fine. You're, you're free to say that stuff. Nobody blocked you. I didn't even say anything, but when you put it to me, it's, it's again, it's logically fallacious and it's putting me on the defensive to now defend is, are the other books something that the first book isn't either, you know? Yeah. And, and I like to be clear, I brought that up because maybe that's something you've faced before that type, like criticism of tone. Dude, I've got almost content. the reason I come on your show and the reason I love you guys is because you have been in my corner regardless. And you know me that I would always support you. And like, you guys know my true character. But a lot of this I've had to deal with over the past five to seven years, a lot of censorship. Some of it is brought upon myself. So I take full responsibility, right? I didn't know the ramifications of talking about the roll up your sleevers. I didn't know the ramifications. I didn't know all this stuff that was previously said would then be cataloged in the AI and then filtered and silenced. You know, so like I brought a lot of stuff on my own, but the, 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 the struggles that I have to deal with just to get my work seen. And then when that is like half of the good, that's like half of the shit I have to deal with is people like that steering attention away from it. When you just need to realize, Hey, maybe I didn't like this restaurant, but I don't need to cost everybody at the restaurant, their job by leaving a one-star review and trashing it when really I just didn't like the dish. You know what I mean? Because you're not thinking about the livelihoods. You're not thinking about all the people you're impacting because unfortunately, if you look at the star ratings, you lose 7% of your business for every half star that you lose. That's why some people, you know, it's, it's frustrating when you spend so long, the star system is trash. You should have to write reviews and people should have to just read the reviews and see what people say rather than looking at a star and deciding, Oh no, it's, it doesn't meet the four star, at least four star threshold. It's trash. Dude, dying light two only has three star. It's one of my favorite experiences of all time. Right. If I just looked at the star writing, I would have not played that game, right? I would have not bought that game. So I just like to, I have to defend myself. I shouldn't have to defend myself. I hate having to defend myself, but I'm not going to step down when somebody, you know, disrespects me publicly and we're public. And if you don't like how I respond, 
again, in the words of Elon Musk, you know, you know what to do. I know what my work is and I know how I treat other people and both of them are good. The end. Yeah. Yeah. Dylan, when, when Dylan and, and you are friends, he's got your back no matter what. It's one of the best friends I've ever made. And on, and we've only been in a friendship online. So, well, someday I, we're going to do our campfire hangout in real life. We can stream it if you want, but it'll be good to hang out with you guys. No, Listen, if these books get going, you have no idea then like, dude, they're uncovering, they're opening up necropolises, uh, Mon Mons Vaticanus. So there's all kinds of shit in places that have not really been publicized yet. What I will do is I will book, buy us a vacation but it's like a working vacation where we can go to these locations and see this shit for ourselves. Because the problem is, is all this stuff that's been found, it has not been published with modern technology. It's all sitting in like museum collections, private collections, you know, like I'm still looking at black and white photos from someone's private collection from like 40 years ago when we could go there in person and and do it with like 4k, you know? So Hopefully we'll uh, we'll get that opportunity to to do some our own uh, archaeology, the the vibrant archaeology, we'll call it. But I will, you know, I, I live very humbly. So if I'm making money, it's not a big deal for me to pay for everybody and their family's expenses to go get it done. He'll be balling. Let's get it. <laughs> Let's get Dylan to the balling stage. <laughs> uh, guys, I did. I did my best uh, to field all the questions that came up. Um, if I didn't get to one of your questions, it's because we already answered one from you. And we're we're making our way to the wrap-up, guys. It's it's the holiday season. Whoop-de-whoop. Dick, hickory dock. Don't forget to hang up a sock. <laughs> I want to I want to I want to comment on the comment. I want to mention something that comes to my mind about that comment. And that is that if you're not angry, then your head is not right. There is a lot of really good reason to be wrathful. And if you're not syncing up with that, then this is not your party. (laughs) And wrath is the shadow of the reformer perfectionist. Wrath is the shadow of a number one. Wrath is the shadow with the good fucking idea of how to get or this is. This this is too aggressive for me. That is the quintessential public opinion of a perfect number one who's going to get the fucking job done. So when people project wrath onto you, my friend, understand that is a compliment in disguise. They're telling you, you're a fucking great reformer. You're a really good perfectionist. And you scare me. I'll admit I'm vulgar. I'm going to call you too angry. And so that shadow that I project is... (laughs) <laughs> yeah man that shadow it serves us if we recognize it but that, that word wrath that was our cue with the good idea to get it should done somebody who's proactive and we're going to need a lot more ones in our life so you people need to get a better uh resilience against what appears to be wrathful and that is self-work for public opinion to process i'll offer that Thank you, Gabe. And Rachel said something really good about passive. So that's one thing you guys will never have to worry about me. Hopefully. Well, read, read it out loud for passive. people just listening. Well, she says it's always the chronically passive aggressives who demonize anger anyway. And um, the, 
the one thing that I can't stand is passive aggressiveness. So if I ever do that to either of you guys, please, I'm asking you as my friends to check me. But I, that's the one thing I try to pride myself is if I have issues with somebody, I go tell them and I You're don't, just and I don't do aggressive. It. You're not passive. Just well, I think that's aggressive. why I love Owen, Owen's comedy so much is because he doesn't, he's not angry to me because he and I grew up in similar places. And I think like, I think what people think is angry is just we're vulgar because we grew up with like drunken Irish people. Did you hear him Italians. talking about that yesterday or the day before? Where yeah. Like talking about New York people. Like they're hanging out with their friends and they're just like, you fucking idiot. <laughs> and Dude, I went like, to, I went to Hofstra university. I lived on long Island. Yeah. So that's, that's totally not, uh, it's not the Midwest world. It's not, so. <laughs> but I <laughs> definitely I, not the California world. I like so, you guys better. I'm just, I'm not saying it's something to be proud of. I'm just saying I do, I do concede that I have that vibe because it's Northeastern and Northeastern is really, um, it's what, what, abrasive. That's probably the best way to put it. They don't, they're not subtle about anything. And you hear they're like friends or family and they're yelling at each other. What the fuck is that? And, but they're like doing it in a loving way, but it's like, when you're from there, you hear that all the time and it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't register as like angry. <laughs> it's but just how people, people talk. Yeah. Yeah. I really liked what Gabe said about the, the number one on the Enneagram that does, that does kind of fit you. The perfectionist reformer. That's like, <laughs> absolutely. You're probably a one that, that actually makes sense. I don't know if you've ever done like an Enneagram personality profile, but that totally Totally fits like that system is such an incredible lens to understand the world through. And it helps us, it helps us get into other people's head and think more like they do when otherwise we might like get offended or, or project ourselves onto them and assume that because they're acting a certain way, if we were acting that way, what it would mean that, you know, that, and get it all wrong. So I, I love that Gabe is always swooping in with, an enneagrammatic analysis because it it helps us just all see where we fit into the larger picture of life a little better and people's motivations beyond how you took it but what they actually meant that's pretty good stuff you know what it is i don't like bearing false witness and when you set somebody up to presume something that maybe is not true but it's your perspective you're you're you it's it's bearing false witness in my opinion Right. And that's just my opinion. I could be wrong, you know, but that's how I see it. I see when someone sets you up to try to pigeonhole you somewhere. It's, uh, it's, it's like, you do, you've never even met me. You weren't there when I wrote the book. It's not like I was angry. I, some, it's like, it is, I did write it. I will concede the first like two to three books. I was writing it to like my 16 year old self. So that, that might be, you know, that comfort that I have in writing it. I, t I write exactly how I speak. That's probably what it is, but it wasn't like I was sitting here, like writing this, like angry and screw it. I'm going to show you, you know, guys, I just had a fun idea. I've got an extra copy and it's hardcover of spirit world, the Holy sailors. Awesome book. So what we're going to do and we're going to give it, I don't know, probably let's say till 925. All right. 925 central from this point on, if you want, and this is only for the YouTube chat, uh, I'm looking at Rockfin too, YouTube and Rockfin chat. 
All right. So people who were here live, you put in a number between one and 2000. Okay. And whoever gets the closest is going to get, I'm going to mail them a copy. You know, you'll have to email me to get me your address, but I'm going to mail you guys hardcover spirit world, holy sailors, physical copy. All right. Number through one through 2000. I'm going to screen share when I do a random number generator. So you'll see me do it live. All right. So over the next four minutes, put your numbers in into the chat. And yeah, we're doing an impromptu giveaway. And you can only guess once, Stacy. Oh, so. you should you should type it. You should type it into our chat so Gabe and I can verify you're not picking favorites. <laughs> no, you'll see. Uh, you'll you'll see. I'm gonna do it live. I'll take a screenshot and be like, "Yeah, it's legit. This is what it was before you guys all guessed." No, I'm gonna screen share. I'll screen share the the random number generator live as I do it, so everyone oh, okay. will see me do it live. There'll be no no foolery, except Stacy is putting in more than one number. So if you put in more than one number uh, from this point, you're out. You're just totally out. Stacy, your first guess is what you have to go with. (laughs) Ed Zachary just put in two numbers. I'm telling you, if I see that one more time, as as the stream catches up, you're disqualified. (laughs) Just, just, Just hit now. You should write it in the chat so people can say, do not guess beyond this point or something like that. Do not. Okay. So... Anyway, while we wait for uh, a couple more minutes only. And uh, Uh, sorry for everybody that's not caught up to the present moment in the stream. It is what it is. This is totally off the cuff. (laughs) Improv Christmas giveaway. Uh, Yeah, let's let's keep waiting. But to address that person's question, though, whoever that was was asking about like the other ones. they do build off each other, but the one that you could read like without having any experience that I tried to kind of isolate was the Holy Sailors, just because I was really wanted, I really wanted to show you how the culture in ancient Britain syncs up to the culture in ancient Italy and the Phoenicians and the Etruscans. So you could definitely do like that in uh, the last book, Terminalia. Um, without having it's not that's like one of the things that i do like about the series though to kind of to something that i do like is we get away from the feast of nonsense the conspiracy stuff is important to address there is some stuff that we should know but you know it's like i tried to remove this work as much as possible because it goes back to what you you said from the beginning from the zeitgeist because anytime i talk about any of this stuff that's one of the people people oh is that is that like zeitgeist? And, I, and I've never seen zeitgeist. So I'm like, I have no idea, to be honest with you. But it's it's hard to not get stereotype fallacy. And I, I'm guilty of doing it too. We all do it to a degree because there are generalizations that sometimes it's just easier to make those generalizations so you understand and you're on the same page with people. But I'm trying to get better at not doing that. So one of the things I really pride myself on is when we're doing like the history stuff from like term uh, from Holy sales to terminalia to the next one, which I'm, it's not going to be called spirit world, but it's kind of like, it's, it's building off of that. The real universal empire, that's going to be more history driven where you don't need to know so much occult stuff, but there's always, you know, I'll, I'll read you two or I'll recite you two Latin citations that prove what, what I'm saying. First is soul in the Trusciatium lingua. Esar Vokutusest, which is the sun in the Etruscan language, was called Esar. 
E-S-A-R. And I'll cite Suetonius. Sol, ides de reliqua parse gaiseris nomine trucia lingua, Deus vocator, which means Isar, that is, or which forms the um, remaining part of the name Caesar, or how they would say it in the old world, Gaisar, is in the Etruscan language, the denomination of God. So here you are seeing, and you'll notice it was not il sol or anything like the sun, it's sol. It, you know, sol was almost like a name, right? It'd be like saying chance. Nutrition language meant, or gave, and it, you know, so when they say soul, nutritiatium lingua, they're saying the son was called Esar, and Isar was the nutrition name for God as well. And this omission of the A between the two words is just a Latin thing to do. And so that root, E-S-A-R, is the same word. And that matters because you'll see it in the Gothic name for Odom, Es or Esus. You see in the Gallic name for Esus, the, the god of war, you'll see it in Jesus. Yes, Es. And Etruscan, you'll see in Latin, it's written H-E-S, I'm oh, sorry, H-E-T-R-U-C-A, Etruscia, or Etrusci, for the people. They drop it. So that H, that aspirate is kind of like the I too. Jesus, right? Well, they just drop it. It's Jesus, God of war. Esar, Isir, Jesus, Latin, uh, Gothic Odin. All this stuff is, I'm not making it up. It's all syncretizable. Yeah, that's the value. I'm excited for the new work too. I think that'll be good in a lot of ways. Sort of new, new branding and everything too. <laughs> Gives yeah, people you, something they feel like they can start from the beginning on. That's important. I'm gonna if do you guys this, have time to read it, generator. I'll send it to you. Yeah, do it. Hit it up. You know I'm gonna read it. Okay, right. so this is it. One to two thousand. Seeing this live, I'll zoom it in. All right, that's just what it was on. That's not the number. Generate boosh six eighteen. All right, I'm gonna scroll up in the chat. Who's closest to 618? If <laughs> it looks like it might be Dom 595. Yeah. 595 is the closest to 618 in the chat. That is Dom Beeps. Dom Beeps. You got it, buddy. You're gonna have to email me with your address, chance at interversepodcast.com. And I will send you this book. So Congratulations, Dom. It's a great name. We did it. Yeah, man. We did it. Merry Congratulations. Christmas, this is the book right here. I have an extra copy. Dylan sent I bought a copy great and idea. Dylan sent me a copy. A so idea. I'm gonna give this one away. Give Spread it away, give it away, give it away now. Pay it forward. Hey, what what I got you? You don't want to keep it like the Kaiser <laughs> or the Caesar. So gentlemen, I'm ready to I'm ready to close up shop. We're gonna be off the air on Monday, Christmas time. That's of course, you know, we're not gonna put a show out then. Uh maybe we'll come on Wednesday the 27th. I could see that happening, but I might just take the whole week, you know, vacation a bit. I've got some really cool stuff planned for the first week of the year, though. 
the yeah maybe i'll put an interverse out on the 27th actually because premiering something on new year's day new year's eve is when not to do it new year's day is probably all right anyway i'm just thinking out loud but the next show i've already got recorded i talked to this guy named rj who was paralyzed from the chest down and used the the power of his higher mind to channel energy through his body and healed himself of permanent paralysis he was told by the surgeons he'd be paralyzed for the rest of his life he said he would be walking in a hundred days and he did it. It's all documented. All the x-rays are there, all the doctor's diagnoses, and there's video of him paralyzed. There's video of him every step of the way. It's a wild story. The guy, the guy is awesome. You're going to love it. Really excited for that. It was an awesome interview. I already one, did it. You found the Yeah. <laughs> He's Neo. He's the one man Karmatage. <laughs> Yeah, he's basically Neo. We're going to, that'll probably be the next thing we put out. And then uh, watch out in January. We're going to be getting back into the marvelous Demystifiers. We got a whole nother six episodes of Loki to, ta- to tackle. That's going to be nuts. The whole oh, reason we started, those. like, yeah, the whole reason we started that series is because the second season was nuts and we wanted to talk about it, but we felt like we needed to lay the groundwork of season one before we got into it so that we could really sink our teeth in and know what we we're looking at. So really like that was all just the pre prelude. Now we're going to get into the real shit. Are you guys actually fans of this and you watch it on your own or are people sending it to you and saying, Hey, you got to see the symbolism in this. Like what, what, which was it? I've been a comic book nerd forever. I okay, like comic so, you, books. so you just were watching this and like, damn, there's so much stuff in this that we got to talk about it. Yeah. And now that we have the demystifier show, I keep my eye on, what Marvel puts out in case something is worth talking about. But Loki, I actually like that show. I think it's a good show. It's pretty cool. It's not bad. I got it. It's well done. I got to say, I, I actually did. I did not like it the first time. And some of my first read on it still stands. Like I think that they're uh, generating or stimulating or even modeling schizophrenia uh, intentionally. Um, and I still stand by that criticism of the entire thing. It only gets more prolific as it builds out. But I'm so glad, Chance, that you uh, that you wanted to do the show because going back on the second and the third playthrough, uh, it has locked into the tarot, and now I'm completely getting uh, gems and occult jewels and, and all kinds of things to bring to bear. Because yeah, season two. To it just the rubber hits the road and the lessons are valuable it's going to get really good all right dylan you got anything you want to promote as we're wrapping up here buddy uh yeah just uh if you want to support chance's channel and enjoy the spirit world go check out the uh the audiobooks um and like i said you can do it risk-free and get it get the first one for free with a, a trial at audible. So you can, you can really get the whole series for a lot less money with the audiobook. And if you want to reference the audiobook, if some of it is complicated and you don't understand it, then you can get the ebook site for 75% off right now at Smashwords till the end of the year and just follow that way. And other than that, thanks for supporting chance and Gabe and giving them an opportunity and a platform uh, to make it worth their while to do this. And uh, I'm sure they appreciate it. I don't want to speak for them, but I certainly appreciate it. And uh, thanks for tuning in.
Ah, cool. Dom, (laughs) Dom just super chatted. Nice buddy. Appreciate that. And they bought the uh, definitions. So cool. Be like Dom, read spirit world, get the audio book. Like Dylan said, and have a, have something (laughs) to dig your teeth into while we're off the air for a little while on the holiday break. I've got two announcements to make. Um, one is I did a show over on Third Eye Edify. It was awesome. Everybody should come over and enjoy. The second hour is next level. We dropped all kinds of fabulous uh, uh, insights into Panama in the Panama Canal. And uh, big ups to George out there. I think I saw you in the chat, buddy. That was such a blessing to work together. Chance, I don't know if you've seen it yet, but you're in a trip when you find out how Loki and Panama Canal I'll go hand in hand, my friend. I had some post-production epiphanies that are so strong. Uh, George and I are going to have to come back and do a part two. We're going to pick things up and launch onto a whole new level. It's so hard not to even insinuate where we've taken things. Oh, we've made discoveries around the Panama Canal. I'll just say sounds, that. So th- sounds good, man. Things I'll are going to launch out. to a whole new level. And chance, I think eventually. Yeah. And then I have one other project coming up, and that's with Zeralath. He's been in my ear ever since we started the Loki series. He wants some Loki love over on the Zeralath channel. So he's hardcore. Norse bend to it for Zerlath's sake. So uh, you'll see some Loki popping up with the Slick Dissident uh, confabulations on uh, Zerlath's channel as well. Radical. All right, everybody. Happy holidays out there. Be good to each other. Eat some uh, eat some cookies or something good. <laughs> Take care. Yes, Love you. God bless. God bless. Good night. Merry Xmas, y'all. All right, you too. It was awesome catching up with you. I hope you have an amazing rest of your evening.